All right, welcome everyone and to our podcast. And today's guest is John A. Warnick, who's an estate planning attorney and founder of the Purposeful Planning Institute. And we've been friends since longer than we probably want to admit. <laughs> Thank you, Rod, for sparing them the details. <laughs> so <clears throat> when I first met you, you were you were just like unveiling this, you know, this is in the 90s, I'm sure, the Purposeful Trust which then led to a lot of things and we then ended up with purposeful planning. So, you know, let's start there. When, when people talk about purposeful planning, what does that mean? I mean, how would you define purposeful planning? Well, I think uh, it's a great um, purposeful planning. Purposeful trusts are a subset of purposeful planning. Purposeful planning is what we achieve when we marry the best of technical design technical drafting, the implementation, with the best of qualitative planning. So the best practices, best practices that we might pull from the relational legacy and philanthropic domains. And, you know, they, they, in my opinion, are the foundations for a positive and sustainable plan to allow our clients to transition wealth and values and to also support their rising generation family members in their quest to discover meaningful and flourishing lives. And um, so what distinguishes purposeful planning is it's, it's holistic and it's the marriage, or we say fusion of the technical with the soft or the qualitative and trying to do both of those, do excellent work in both of those areas and find very symbiotic ways to marry the technical planning with the qualitative planning. You know, and uh, David York did a work uh, podcast with us, and he was talking about how, you know, he used to do all of his trusts that, or all of his estate planning was focused on assets and taxes and it supported assets and taxes and the family purpose went off to the side. And now he realizes that some of his plans probably were counter to the, what the family really wanted. So what, and where he's ended up is, first, we need to find out what the family really wants, and then we'll do the best planning. And that's kind of what you're talking about here. It's it's bringing them together. So you start with, where's the family want to be? And where are their passions? And, you know, and philanthropy is usually part of that. And then what what kind of planning can we do to to get that? Um, and But you got them both. I, I, I totally agree. And I, and I, and I just feel bad when a technician, because I, I was there, I spent 30, 35 years as an eye daughter and T-crosser. But um, I feel so bad when they say, I do the hard stuff, the technical work. And they denigrate and devalue the soft, what they call the soft side of planning. And I actually think it's reversed. I think the the relational the legacy and the philanthropic are and in some respects harder because it isn't as cookie cutter as their technical planning too often is. But I, I couldn't agree more with you and David. I think we do need to focus on what families um, want. And I would say, Rod, I think sometimes families don't know what they need and right. they think they need tax uh, avoidance, tax minimization, and legal structure, asset protection planning. Yeah, they need that. But there's much more needed if they really want to get to 
the heartfelt goals. So when you can get past the technical and really help the client take the blinders off and be able to see more holistically or purposefully what the possibilities are, it opens up a lot of opportunities to do this purposeful planning work. And it really does take somebody who's asking the right questions because like you say, most people when they walk in, they have in their mind, I got to save taxes. I've got to, you know, you know, the questions are how old are your kids and when do you want them to get the money and you know, how many you got? I mean, that's kind of it. And I remember when one of the times I, one of the first times I asked the client, you know, I, I didn't ask him when he wanted his kids to get the money. I said, what impact do you want the, your, the inheritance to have on your kids? And it was just dead silent. He goes, I, I've never thought of that. I go, well, let's think about that, you know, because, <laughs> you know, then we can plan because he was trying, you know, well, should you give them at this age or that age? And I said, well, I don't know. What impact do you want it to have? The, just that shift. But that also took a lot more time. Yes, it does. And so that's that's the the trade-off you have is uh, you do have to have the person or the people that are doing, like you said, what they call the soft side, but getting that and having the patience to ask the question, because a lot of times I think our clients, the first answer is what they think it should be, you know, what the norm is. And then if you start asking them deeper questions, they'll get there. I mean, it's in them, but they're just, it's just not top of mind because a lot of them just don't think it can be done. Right. So... And then we went from, okay, so purposeful PPI there, and then the trust, they, they're they just, they're like the, the the hard side of the soft side, right? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I would, let me, let me kind of, um, it probably takes a little bit to help people understand purposeful trust. We probably hear more about them because that's really what I first started to push out, but it's more than just um, purposeful trust. Um, really what we're talking about here is differentiating between the legal documents that are being used as part of this uh, transition or succession plan. So that could be a purposeful trust. It could be a purposeful will. It could be a purposeful family entity or enterprise, uh, a purposeful charitable vehicle. Mm -hmm. Um, And then how do we take those legal documents and incorporate or mesh into them the seven now eight what i call keys of purposeful um trust and we could really say purposeful drafting okay those keys or at least most of them can be adapted to both trusts wills business entities charitable vehicles the initial question we have to ask is um will we include these keys inside the legal documents Um, will we keep the keys outside the legal documents and have them play the role of supporting but non-legal documentation? And I call that purposeful legacies. They come in all sorts of sizes and shapes, and they're, I think, very positive. Or the third possibility is you're going to have a combo situation where maybe you integrate a few of the keys into the legal documents and you take other keys and create these purposeful legacies outside of the legal documents. So um, that's that's kind of what purposeful trust um, and these other types of pur- purposeful legal documents, um, how I differentiate them from the standalone non-legal, which I call purposeful legacies. Now, let me, if, if we could, let me quickly run through what the 
the keys are because yeah. I think um, so. The first key is capturing the client's voice and vision. And um, I'll always remember the client that said to me, if you rip the first and last page off of these documents, and he was pointing at a five inch thick set of documents that the legendary law firm, that's the name for a big, big law firm in Denver, had drafted for him. He said, if you rip the first and last page off of these documents, my children would never know that was my plan. And his point was everything between the signature page and the first page that had his name and the identification of family, everything else was boilerplate and, and it lacked. And, and so the first key is capturing the client's voice and vision. And that, that changes everything. I had um, one client that we did this for and his daughter, when I said, if you look in these text boxes and you see italicized words, those are direct quotes from your father. And she confided in me after the meeting, you didn't need to tell us that because the minute I read the first text box, it was like I was having a conversation with my dad. I could hear him speaking to me. So that's the first key. The second key is unleashing and capturing positive emotions. I think that too many of the legal documents are bereft. They're sterile, bereft of any emotion, any positivity. And I, it's my theory and I hope someday there's empirical research to back it up. But my theory is, is that we need to assist the inheritors, um, the rising generation family members, to be able to develop a positive emotional connection to the estate plan. And when the document is just boilerplate and sterility and complexity, very difficult. When you incorporate the client's voice and vision, and you begin to capture these positive emotions, suddenly you've got some real glue that can create a positive, uh, we call it truscape. Mm -hmm. Then the third key is the key of purposeful names. It's amazing. Some of the names that my clients have given, and if you think about how important mission statements are, you can take a name that keys off of a mission statement or keys off of a primary value or values and have that be the name of the entity, the trust. And every time, if it's a trust, every time somebody gets a, you know, a quarterly statement, they're going to see the name of the trust and they're going to be reminded of just this powerful mission statement or values or, or whatever that name was chosen for whatever purpose. The fourth key. Oh, just is, before you go to that though, the third key, that name is their word, right? I mean, they that's a yes. word that comes from them. It's the, the, it does. You, sometimes we have to help them, and it can mm -hmm. be a fun game. Yeah. I mean, I, I often ask clients, how many of you let the OBGYN or the nursery nurse name your child? Nobody has responded that they did. <laughs> um, and yet we're naming trusts for clients all the time in the legal domain. And this is a missed opportunity, totally overlooked, so easy, so powerful. So well, that's and we talk all the time about words have meaning and they have specific meanings to specific families. So, you know, you have that name in somebody's trust for their family. It's going to have a complete, you know, different meaning for them than maybe somebody else. But for them, it's their words. Absolutely. It's gibberish to somebody that doesn't understand the background, the right. story. 
that it connects to, but to the family, it means everything. You're right, right Ryan. Okay, cool. Okay. Sorry, the I interrupted. fourth key is what I call the key of purpose and intent clauses. If you look at trusts, wills, um, LLCs, even charitable documents, there's very little um, other than boilerplate purpose and intent language. When we really stop, slow down and help clients, and you have to help clients, they can't do this on their own. You have to help them. But when you do help them find the material purposes and be able to express that through purpose and intent clauses, it makes that trust so much more powerful. And I would say this key is the key to avoiding the decanting and the modification of trusts that are so often happening because there's a disconnect and resistance from the inheritors to what the intent of the original settlor was. Yeah. The fifth key is the key of meaning. Um, it's basically bringing meaning into the trust. And then the sixth key is what I call the key of guidance. It's, it's a real intentional effort to leave guidance for the trustees. And then we have an associated key with that that we call the key of guide lights, which is for the beneficiaries to give them guidance. Okay. And and so and then the final key is the key of values and virtues. So those are the eight keys and not all of these. I've never had a client that's used all eight. Usually it's three or four. Um, but, you know, mastering these keys is absolutely going to transform anybody's practice. And it's going to elevate um, the the trust, the legal entities that they're helping clients create. It's going to make a big difference. Well, and the other piece to this, that I, that just as you're telling me, that, talking about it, if you're one of the rising generations and you see this trust and you know, I mean, we were talking about the very first one about capturing you know, their, their stuff. I had one client, he was from Savannah and he's like, good deal. Whenever there was something good, a good deal. Good deal made it into his thing like several times. And we watched as his kids were reading and his grandkids, especially his grandkids, they're like the first time they saw it, they started laughing because that's grandpa. I mean, they, they knew that. You now have a family for life. It's not just the client that you started with because you've built a trust with the next generation because they knew they know you listen to mom and dad. I mean, that's their words. That's their family words. Uh, so that's I mean, that's a, I think it's a kind of overlooked sometime about, OK, if you want multi-generational engagements which for financial advisors, that increases the value of their business. I mean, the multiplier is higher if, if you have multi-generational engagements. <clears throat> you do these keys, when that next generation sees it, they're going to know you took time that most people didn't take because this Absolutely. doesn't just happen. Absolutely. It, it, it's, going to, it's going to completely obliterate the question that too often arises with traditional planning, which the children say, that's not my father or my mother's trust. That's the attorney's document. This, this completely obliterates that. And there's no question when you integrate at least some of these keys into the legal document that it's been designed and built with a heart and a soul. And it reflects the voice and vision of the trust creator. That's actually supported by, I don't remember if you remember back, I think it was in the 90s, the Bar Association, ABA's estate planning section did a survey and they found that 
like 60 some percent of all uh, estate planning documents either weren't signed, weren't funded or weren't maintained. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and of course they were worried about it because that was malpractice, not because the clients were getting it, you know. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, but when, they, yeah, when I, they asked the clients, the answer was just what you said. The answer from the clients was, well, I understood how it was my attorney's, you know, estate planning documents. I didn't understand how they were mine. And if that's the client, you know, their kids don't, you know, they, their kids are going to challenge that. <clears throat> so I think you're right. I mean, once you have this kind of their language and all that, it really does take away the wind out of your sails to be able to say, well, that's not what, you know, that mom and dad wanted. Exactly. So cool. All right. Um, and, and like you said, this is a purposeful documents, whatever you want, whatever the documents are, is a subset of the planning, the purposeful planning. It is. And, you know, I think in addition to the documents, you've got to do all the stuff that you teach at the Heritage Institute, which is, you know, we've got to start these conversations intergenerationally. We've got to, um, you know, work on shared values. And there's so much more than just constructing a legal document um, that's required to make a plan really sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you did, when you created PPI, how, how, how long had you been in business of before you, you started? Okay. <laughs> well, let me, let, I'll try to quickly in five minutes or so, give you that history and background. So yeah, I had started out as a tax attorney. I realized after about five, 10 years of practice as a tax attorney doing, I was in a boutique firm. We didn't call them that in those days, right. but that's really what we were. And after about five, 10 years, I realized tax court litigation initially excited me, but now was boring me to death. And part of it was we were getting trounced by the IRS. This was in the day of silver straddles and all sorts of other yeah. ambitious, aggressive tax strategies that had no substance. Anyway, what I, I began to think, what do you enjoy doing? And what I really enjoyed doing was I had I'd been kind of become the the estate planner of this tax boutique firm. And so clients would come in for their tax shelter work, but they would need an estate plan. And I I I just thrived on those conversations and helping families design plans for their children and grandchildren. And so that's what drew me towards this. I went through several iterations of uh, growth there. But things changed fundamentally in 1999, January of 99. I moved to Denver from, I'd been practicing in Nevada and Wyoming previously, and a big law firm, second largest in the Rockies, asked me to join their, uh, we called it Individuals, Trusts, and Family Business uh, Practice Group. And uh, we were, we were, it was a killer group, a killer firm. Um, it was just awesome. And I went from working with ordinarily wealthy Wyomingites and Nevadans to suddenly working with these eight digit, at least nine digit and sometimes 10 or 11 digit clients, not just in Colorado, but throughout the country, really. And mm -hmm. it changed what happened in a very short time, Rod, as I realized while the complexity of the documents changed and kind of adapted to the increased number of digits in the financial statement. What I was seeing, there was a commonality, which is a lot of dysfunction. In fact, I saw more of it in the 
high, the higher up the higher you go, yeah. More and more dysfunction in the families, or at least it stood out more. You couldn't hide it, I guess. And um, that started me, you know, scratching my head and asking this question: Is there a better way? And the Greeks have a a saying, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, for me, within six months of my asking that question and scratching my head multiple times, the teacher that appeared was a man by the name of Jay Hughes. And the way that he appeared is in a miraculous way. I don't have time to tell you now. Um, he began working as a family wealth consultant to one of the most successful, wealthiest uh, entrepreneurs, our firm, our large firm of 275 lawyers represented. And I, this was a client primarily assigned to me. So I got to carry Jay Hughes's briefcase for five years. We were holding two and three family meetings a year and it was on the job training and, you know, how to conduct meaningful um, family meetings. Yeah. And throughout that five-year period, Jay, I belong to ACTEC, and Jay would say, you know, I know you go to ACTEC meetings all over the country. When you're in San Francisco, let me know. When you're in Boston, let me know. And what he did when I traveled to a Seattle or an Atlanta for these ACTEC meetings, he would introduce me to one or two people in each of these large cities that had influenced him. They had collaborated with him or they had taught him stuff. And so over that five-year period, I met about 25, 30 of these amazing thought leaders and industry innovators. And um, it just blew my mind in a positive way and it just stretched it and caused me to rethink what I was doing and how I was doing it. Well, 07 comes and um, I'm getting restless and the engagement Jay had with this firm client ended. We go to lunch and Jay says to me, you're going to leave the large firm and you're going to do what I do. And I said, Jay, you're wrong. I'm going to stay in the large firm and I'm going to do what you do. He said, my friend, you'll find you're sadly mistaken. You can't do this work at a large law. Firm. And 18 months later, um, September of 08, I found out he was. He was right. <laughs> we were in the middle of the economic blizzard of 08. Right. right. And I had gotten the firm to agree to a marvelous plan, business plan that I had put together with help and input from others. And we were going to create an amazing offering inside of our large law firm. And the firm was going to have to invest about 500000 over a two-year period before we thought we'd begin, you know, the firm would begin to realize a significant return from its investment. They were willing to do that, but then they lost their courage in the midst of the blizzard financial blizzard. And they said to me one day, we've had to shut your plan down. We're canceling the meeting we were going to have with the new partners and the consultants that we were going to contract with. Anyway, that was the night I came home and told my wife, Jay was right. And so I left at that point. I, I wanted to leave and do what Jay did. Um, my wife kept saying, no, you've got to stay. <laughs> you've got to stay. And it took about a year and a half, but Finally, we came together, my wife and I, and agreed on a plan. And uh, she's, a, she's been a marvelous support to me. But that plan involved three things. One was I was going to compress my law practice to about a third of what I had been doing. I was going to devote about a third of my time to consulting 
And the last third, I wanted to create an institute and I knew to call it the Purposeful Planning Institute. And the whole vision behind PPI was that five-year period where Jay had introduced me to all these thought leaders and industry innovators, I wanted to bring those 25 or 30 people, plus a lot of others that I was meeting, to um, an organization and, and share their best practices and their thinking with others. So, you know, that would include Rod Zeeman. And uh, so we, in February of 2010, we organized, we were just a, a monthly webinar initially. Right. And and we started out, Jay Hughes was our first webinar guest, and we had 102 people show up, 30, 35 people pledged after that, that they would pay $50 a month to, to belong. And uh, we grew that first year to around 75. And today our membership's around 450. So that's the story. The purpose behind founding PPI has always remained, number one, to share, to explore and share best practices for wealthy families and families in business. And the second purpose, and this goes back to some of the, the really meaningful work that I saw you doing within the Heritage Institute, is I believed in a collaborative model. Jay was a, a model collaborator, and I learned how to collaborate effectively with other consultants and and learn the humility that I didn't have all of the answers and couldn't address all of the needs. I needed to, to extend my influence through collaboration. So that was our second purpose. And the third purpose was to help our members discover the secret, the formula to prospering, flourishing as an advisor or consultant doing this work. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's interesting when, when uh, I was talking with Jim Grubman, one of the comments he made is both PPI and our community, there are no um, people who think they've got them all, right? Everybody in that community is brilliant in both communities. They're brilliant and they're willing to share with everybody else in the community. There is no... Yeah, it's, it is amazing. The sharing, the collaboration, the humility. Um, it, it's absolutely amazing. Yeah. And, and you I'm would think so that there'd be more pro, more, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I did this, you know, and all, all that kind of stuff, but there isn't. Well, I have to say, um, somebody once said to me, don't you have some barbarians within the gates? And yeah, we have a few skunks, but they don't, they, they aren't allowed to stay. <laughs> they, get, <laughs> they get disinvited. And the reality is at least 95, 98% of our members joining come in for the right reasons. Right. They come to learn and share. And if you come with that intent and not an intent to profit just from, you know, what can I get out of it? You'll be very successful, very deeply rewarded for PPI participation and membership. But if your sole intent is to increase the number of clients you have, you're probably, you know, not a candidate. You've got to, that will come in due time. Right. But it has to start with the humility, the learning, and the collaboration. And step one, as you said it earlier, <clears throat> excuse me, step one is, you know, being able to say to yourself, I don't know it all. <laughs> yes. I, I need other people. And that's <clears throat> that's kind of hard for some some people. But no, it is it is really true that when you look at the collaboration that happens and the reason people come, I mean, that's the other thing. They they come because of that. <clears throat> we do a survey every year of our members and go, what's the most valuable thing you get out of? the Heritage Institute. 
And as the guy who creates content, you know, you'd think it'd be content <laughs> and it's always the community. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, that's number one is the community and it has been for 20 years now. That's... And, and that's what, that's what you need though. Cause if you put this community together and, 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 you know, even I, then I was at rendezvous, uh, which was the first live one you've had in like us for the last three right, years. In three years. <laughs> yeah. And just what happens when people are talking to each other, people learn in just normal conversations because everybody's sharing and nobody's hiding. Uh, and so, yeah, it's a, uh, I think that's, that's probably as I, as you watch PPI grow, I think that whole attitude of, I'm not here just to get, I'm here to give and to get, <laughs> you know, I, and, uh, you know, it is, is what makes a difference between the, you know, the static academic world. Yes. So, so real quick, I don't even know how long we've been here, but real quick, where do you see PPI? And now I know that you've grown even during the pandemic. Isn't that right? I, <clears throat> well, we, 2020 was the first year that we experienced a decline in membership. So we did, we, we had been growing at about a 15 to 20 percent pace and 2020 took the wind out of our sails. But we've, we, we're back on um, that 20 percent or so growth annually again. And our membership today is at 456, I believe, and that's the highest it's ever been. So we're we're in a very good position, um, you know, where I. We're we're in the process of we're going to be converting PPI to a, a nonprofit member org. So okay. it's going to be owned by the members. Um, you know, I realize I, I didn't I didn't build this to, um, you know, create um, a legacy for myself. This is really this community, Rod, you've been instrumental in building it. Courtney Poland, Jim Grubman, Jay Hughes. I mean, so many, I could go on and on and on. There's so many that have contributed to the growth of the community. And now we're, we're in the process over the next year or two of figuring out how, how do we convert this to a member org nonprofit. And um, we're going we're gonna to kind of step up the relevance of the learning that we, mm -hmm. we do. I, you know, I, one thing I'd say about PPI is we, we are, um, we're never the primary organization professionally that somebody belongs to. And we, you'll find a lot of Heritage Institute members inside of PPI. Mm -hmm. You'll find a lot of Sudden Money Institute members inside of PPI. You'll find a lot of AIP members inside of PPI. We, we do not uh, try to compete with any of those groups. PPI is supporting that and we you know you you do training that is um unique and and relevant and needed and you do it better than i i think almost anybody else that i'm aware of and we're not you know we're not trying to create a designate we we hear suggestions why don't you create a purposeful planning designation that that has not happened in the first 12 years of our existence, and I don't see that happening. What I do see happening is we're, we're developing a lot of these mastermind groups. We have two types. One's thematic, where 
people will select a topic like chief learning officers and they will, you know, we'll get or Bowen family systems systems. Theory. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we get, um, you know, 15, no more than 20, sometimes as few as six people belong to one of these virtual collaboratories and they meet usually monthly or every other month virtually. And, and they're kind of a mastermind study group. And then we have the, the regional collaboratories that meet either virtually or sometimes in purpose or a person or both. And I see that becoming more and more um, key to PPI's growth. Connections, helping each other, um, these collaboratories are absolutely uh, beneficial in that respect. Uh, and I hope if if we were talking eight years from now when we celebrate our 20th anniversary, like you're going to be celebrating come May of next year, that we will see PPI will have over a thousand members that will continue to be this. We, we're proud to say we're the most disciplined, diverse <laughs> professional organization in the world. Yeah. I, I somebody can challenge me on that, but we have counted at least 21 different professions and disciplines that our members come from. And while wealth management is by far the largest, it isn't the only one. The the estate planning and tax professionals are the second largest. The family business consultants the third largest. But you know, we I I think the membership will continue to kind of be represent though that diversity in the professions and disciplines we'll continue to see our members be very um, early on the early adopter and pioneer scales and um, i look forward to you know hopefully being alive in another eight years to see <laughs> so see all this. you know yeah. and, and i think you're on the right track i mean you think about a cap one of the i was on the board for cap when they were started doing the you know their own training in like dallas and different you know when they had the groups in and it changed the uh, the whole dynamic because you're working with people, you're meeting with people who you're going to be working with in media. I mean, you know, in so communities like that, is in the regional ones, both the thematic and the regionals, um, that just builds that symbiotic thing that that we're looking for. I mean, uh, and and it makes it it makes it easier when you've got uh, physically you're in you're in the same kind of area you know, that you can get together. Of course, now with virtual, you still have the problem of time zones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that is that is challenging, particularly as you were saying to me earlier, you know, if you've got somebody in Australia right. or somebody right. in Great Britain or Israel or Switzerland, you know, the time zone differential becomes uh, di very difficult. Yeah. Well, and even we had one meeting where we had somebody in Hawaii and somebody in London. So you're yeah, it, it's it's another one of those twelve hours. You're one way or the other. So yeah, yeah. I really thank you for this. Uh, I'm glad we got this time. Uh, so, how does people, if they want to know more about PPI, what's like the website? How do they get to know more about you and, and PPI? I think the best way is to go to our website. It's www.purposefulplanninginstitute.com, and uh, you know it tells the story. And please feel free to reach out to Julie DeRose, our director of operations, or myself, and uh, we'd be happy to have a conversation with you and um, help you get integrated into the community. Okay, I'm going to uh, denigrate you a little bit and, you know, 
If it weren't for Julie, I don't know that oh this place would... <laughs> That is so true, Rod. I mean, Julie is the glue that has kept this organization together and overcome my lack of organizational skills. She's amazing. Yeah, so, I, you know, Lori's been the same thing for us. It's, it's amazing how we've grown since Lori has been the one that's, you know... she's the, What's nice is she's like... And the same thing with Julie and you. She's my yin to yang kind of thing. You know, yeah, we're completely exactly, opposite. Exactly. We complement each other. Yeah. Yep. So, well, thank you very much. And hopefully people enjoyed this. And if you do, send it to other people that you think would like this. And, and uh, we hope you'll look, listen to the next podcast. Thank you, Rod. Great privilege. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah.